Rugby League, I really think we're getting to know each other. And what a great weekend we had. How do you feel at this time of year? Do you feel like you need a break or are you really excited to be? What's it like? What's it like? Excuse me, how'd you get my number? Uh... Progressive Rugby League. weekend of a rugby league it's John Duncan here really flogging that rugby league speaks thing aren't I but joining me in the studio is my good friend Big Al hello friend how are you I am feeling good I'm feeling fine and you know what thanks for asking I really appreciate that yeah that's okay hey like I said, incredible weekend of rugby league. Why don't we get started with some reflections? What did you think? Well, I mean, I know uh, members of this podcast have been known to, to pull this trope out from time to time when there's nothing else to think of. I mean this in genuine, in all sincerity, my reflection is, how good is rugby league? The finals are here, and they're not disappointing at all. I had the best time across the weekend. Mm. And although like results weren't as compelling as uh, we would have liked, other results were just so amazing that it more than made up for the fact that a couple of teams got flogged. Mm. I'm talking specifically the Canberra Raiders Whoa. and the Melbourne Storm. They dished up what I think was just a superb feast of everything that rugby league can be, right down to the pre-kickoff drama with a player getting fireworks in the eyes. Like... <laughs> It had everything. What a game. The Raiders have really freshened up that final series, haven't they, by beating the Storm? Because, yes, there are a lot of good teams to watch in the finals. You've got your Canberras, you've got your Parramatta's, you've got your Manly's. Yeah. But I think there was a sense that, yeah, you know what, it's still going to be a Melbourne Storm Roosters grand final. And, you know, for us, you know, doing that twice in a row, maybe a little bit stale. But that can't happen anymore. All of a sudden, the Raiders are on one side of the draw, the Roosters on the other, waiting for teams to play them in the following week. And the Melbourne Storm, if they want to win the comp, they're going to have to go through the Roosters to get the grand final. So it just shakes things up totally, and it's made the whole final series very refreshing. Yeah, it's a dream. Like it, We've moved on from that, like, that sense of inevitability about having... Not that a Melbourne and Roosters grand final would not have been exciting, because it, yes. it would have. Well, it's always got that element of like you know revenge and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it, it takes that off the table, and it, it sets up all these delicious options of, let's just, let's just say, okay, it's likely that the Roosters are going to make it through, because they're a pretty red-hot team. Mm. But what it means is we are still going to get the taste of that revenge replay just a week earlier. Sure. But it also means we'll get a super exciting different grand final at all, which would just be... It's incredible. I'm speechless well, as I mean, to how excited I am. That the way I've seen the draw is there are two possibilities that excite me. One has to do with positive omens. So it is 30 years since the Raiders won their first competition in 1989. Mm-hmm. That's something. And as we know, Parramatta Stadium was reopened this year, 2019. The last time Parramatta Stadium was open was 1986. Parramatta's last premiership. So wouldn't it be wonderful to see those two teams play off against each other with that sort of positive omen off? (laughs) I like it. Yeah? And it actually leads me into a a question I wanted to ask you. I know I often throw out reflections and add a new episode of This Tiger's Life. Sure. But that that ended a couple of weeks ago because the Tigers were bundled out of the season. But Mm. we've never actually had an episode of This Eel's Life, which I I think I'd really like to know, how do you feel 
Jono, the nervous Eels fan, mm. who's secretly desperate for success but pretends he doesn't care at all. Yeah. You've now got this situation <laughs> where Parramatta have... I didn't say that. I wouldn't say they finished the season poorly, but they didn't sort of dominate into the finals. Mm. They were comfortably in there and yeah. probably had a, had some shades of good and shades of bad as the season ended. But they've just come and absolutely sunk the boot into Brisbane yeah. with a record-setting 58-0 defeat yeah. at a packed banquet stadium. They're riding on a high yep. and everyone is now paying attention and they're coming up in an elimination final yeah. next week in Melbourne against a team that everybody fears, but seeing what happened last week, the way Melbourne played and the way Parramatta played, Parramatta winning is a very possible scenario. That Absolutely. would leave them one win away from a grand final. Mm. How are you feeling? Well, that was a great episode of this Eels Live. Thanks for your time. <laughs> well, as you can tell by the sound of my voice, I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I mean, yesterday there were no nerves. It was just a celebration. You know, after yeah. about 10 minutes, you could tell that Parramatta were going to get on top. And by the end, wow, it was demoralizing for the Broncos. It was men versus boys stuff. From my perspective, I obviously am very happy to see Parramatta do well. But more importantly, it's the style of rugby league they're playing. They're playing just a, an expansive physical but just breathtaking style of rugby league using the extremities of the field and running the other teams around that's what excites me most and that's obviously exciting the crowd as well who are just thirsting and just been hungry for success for 10 years haven't been in the finals for 10 years and there is really a groundswell uh, of support not only in Parramatta but in greater Sydney mm. to see the Eels do well because they are bringing a wonderful unique uh, perspective to this final series they're just it's just so exciting and if they can somehow get past Melbourne next week it will go from groundswell to fever pitch I really think that yeah because I was there in 2009 when they made the grand final against Melbourne I was part of that 75,000 crowd against the Bulldogs in the preliminary final that is what happens when Parramatta does well yeah and this is what could happen if Parramatta can just squeeze past Melbourne next week is that going to happen? It's unlikely. Melbourne don't lose two games in a row very often. They don't lose two finals in a row very often, although it has happened in recent years. My worry is it's very hard to back up a 58-0 performance. It's like well, a... We've spoken previously about the letdown factor. The letdown like factor. I mean, factor. At, at the end of that game, like Parramatta played very well, but they didn't play 58-0 well. Brisbane were pretty hopeless. Brisbane's confidence was absolutely shot after about 40 or 50 minutes. And you could really see that they're a pretty young team and... And they just wanted to crawl into a hole after yep. 40 or 50 minutes. So really, Parramatta just have to ignore that second half, really. It's really not going to be that easy. And that's easy to say, but it's actually not easy to put into practice. Well, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point that you've raised. So when coming up against Melbourne, that last game was all... It was trick shots. And I don't, I don't mean to say that they were not skillful plays. Mm. And they did, they weren't part of a plan or anything. But there was a lot of, a lot of slick stuff that normally you don't see a, a full game's worth of that sort of stuff. But coming up against against Melbourne traditionally you'd think okay we're gonna to have to grind out a win here yeah. because if you're ever gonna like trick shot your way through Melbourne mm. this is the time to do it because I reckon Melbourne are severely beaten up they got bashed by the mm. Raiders and they're mentally drained and I think they just don't seem to be as secure as they used to like you could see you could have seen at the beginning of that game they were they just seemed out of sorts and it's happened to them yeah. the back end of this season they've started games a bit wobbly which is un-Melbourne like and yeah. I think the, the time is right give them a lesson I say <laughs> well I think Parramatta play their best when they're quote unquote 
playing footy. <laughs> and I just think they, yeah, they, they just have to chance their arm and see what happens. I mean, no one's expecting them to beat Melbourne, so you may as well just go out there, yeah, have a crack. That's freedom. Yeah, well, I mean, what a, what a weekend. What a Saturday. The Saturday for Australians started at about 4am when we got up to watch the relegation battle between London and Wakefield. <laughs> and then there was the opening of the NRLW with the really high-quality win of the Warriors, then two NRL finals, two upset results with great drama, and then finished off with the most scintillating performance by Toulouse Olympic. That Saturday, Australian time zone, was epic. I got not much sleep. So we're, 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 we're talking starting at 4am and ending at midnight, basically. Yeah, 1am the following yeah. morning. <laughs> Just wall-to-wall wow. rugby league. It was what pretty, a meal. It was pretty immense. Yeah, exciting stuff. Hey, I've got a little little quandary I'd like you to help me out with. Lay it on me. Okay, so in that second NRL semi-final on the Saturday night, Manly v Cronulla at Brookie. Seemed like a great atmosphere. About 15,000 people. Now, we've gone back this year to having the first week of finals being at suburban grounds or allowing teams to play at suburban grounds. If this was played at the Sydney Football Stadium, okay, that's being rebuilt, but let's say... Homebush or the Sydney Crew Ground. Looking at historical crowds between two two minor Sydney teams in terms of support, you'd probably get twenty two, twenty three thousand, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't get a fantastic atmosphere. Yeah. The question I have for you is: It better to have fifteen thousand people, but it looks packed, or is it better to have twenty two, twenty three thousand at something like the Sydney Crew Ground or Sydney Football Stadium or Homebush? What's actually better: getting more people to the ground hmm. or less, but making it look packed? I think it's it's a bit of both. So I think getting Getting 22,000, 23,000 people to, say, like, the SCG mm. is bad because yep. it's, it's just going to look bad because that's a big... a big, It's like a 45,000-seat stadium, But I it's think. 50% more than you are getting at Brookvale. Yeah, it's true, but when you're playing an illumination final and you're playing at what, what looks like an empty stadium, mm. it's just a bad look for the game. And unfortunately, perception is reality. <laughs> so if you're an uneducated viewer just catching glimpses of a game and mm. you're seeing... Uh, NRL stadium uh, in the finals that's half empty you're going to think no one likes that sport or you're going to think these things that aren't that aren't true about the game right okay whereas if you see it with what looks like you don't know what the capacity of Brookvale is all you know is wow that place is packed and pumping this must be an important game and people must really care okay so it's better to have less people at a game than to have more people at a game 50% less people you'd prefer that well, well, I mean, I feel like if I say yes or no to this statement, my words are going to come back to bite me. So I'm going to say when it, when you're talking, if the difference is 22,000 to 15,000, yes. Mm-hmm. If the difference is 100,000 to 50,000, then no. That's okay. very, very different. But I guess there's a, there's a sliding scale. Yes. We're sacrificing 50% of the... of, And I, I'm assuming you're talking about commercial return rather than anything else. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, yeah. I mean, I just... You know, people, we always talk about crowds and what was the crowd there, you know, how much did they draw and in years past... We've heard a lot of people criticise finals crowds, especially in the first week or two, mm-hmm. when you might only get 22, 23,000 for two Sydney teams. Mm-hmm. In this case, you got 15, but no one said a word. Everyone said it was a great atmosphere, a great crowd. So is 15,000 a great crowd and 22,000 a bad I, I, crowd? I, yeah, well, I, and it all depends on, on the teams. Like 15,000 for any match between Cronulla and Manly, elimination or not, I think is a really good crowd. Right. 15,000 between any other different combination of teams might be a very bad crowd. But past statistics would suggest that they would have drawn 22-23. That's what I'm saying. So you can pretty much guarantee 22-23 at a bigger stadium mm. or you fill out 15,000. Anyway, I get your point. From a television product perspective, yeah. people are going to tune in and go, wow, this is happening. Uh, I'm going to stay tuned to this because it's obviously a pumping atmosphere. Mm. Whereas if you were flicking around, you see a half-empty stadium, you think... 
what, for a final? This is a bit rubbish. How embarrassing. I mean, so I get yeah. that. So something else that I, I think is forgotten, and maybe I'm making a, a too big a deal of this, but I find it really, I'm going to say distressing mm-hmm. when you see highlights of something that is just cool, like epic, like a great, a slick try, a massive tackle, a really cool pass, like something yeah. cool. And that highlights package has an empty stand behind them. Yeah. And because those things, they knock around social media and the internet like all the time. Mm. Uh, viewers in Australia and viewers outside Australia. And when I just feel when you see something that's really awesome against an empty stadium, the backdrop of an empty stadium, to the viewer, to the uneducated viewer, it, it, it just seems insignificant. Yeah, it totally loses so, and, its yeah, last Yeah, and I, the best case of this, I think, is I think it was this, the last or second last round of the season at Brookvale, packed house. And that hit by George Tafua mm. on, I can't remember who it was. Cameron Munster. Oh, and it was just, a, it was a bell ring. It was such a good hit. And that thing went out. That thing went yeah. viral. And because, you know, let's say there was only 14,000 people at the stadium. But behind that hit, it looked like the stadium was packed. Yeah. And all these people in America, like, you know, France, Afghanistan, wherever, saying, wow, what sport is this? Mm. That, that clip with that, that crowd behind it makes it look like it's important. It makes it look like it's popular, yeah. which it is. Yeah. But empty stadiums, I think, diminish that. Okay, I think you might have won me over slightly. I think after hearing your arguments, I would prefer 15,000 at Brookie than 22,000 at the SCG. But there is a limit, as you say. If they could get 35, then of course you'd want 35 at the SCG. Yes. Maybe 30 plus. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. My reflection. People who know me well know that I'm a little naive. Or as I like to say, I have some common sense blind spots. There was a great example last week when I went out for a work lunch with colleagues to a Vietnamese restaurant. Mm -hmm. As we were waiting for our meal, Big Al, the waiter brought out some mugs or cups of what I assumed to be soup or green tea. It was light-coloured with bits floating in there. Anyway, I was both thirsty and hungry, so whatever it was, I was ready to chug it down. And so I did. And I soon discovered it was neither soup nor tea, but a sauce... Yeah, what was it? But a sauce... Or dressing type concoction <laughs> that you're meant to drizzle lightly over your main meal <laughs> for everybody to share that you've just guzzled. <laughs> no, we all we each got one. So that's I was I, I was, was I was waiting for you to say they were finger bowls. For, for like, <laughs> no, not, use finger bowls. Yeah. Well, what's worse, it was one of my more intense culinary experiences of recent times, and I'm not sure if my colleagues saw the debacle unfold and just didn't say anything. You know, probably. But here's the sad thing. I normally would out myself in such a situation to get a laugh, but I didn't. I kept it quiet. I reflected on it later in disappointment. A, because I missed the opportunity for an easy laugh, and B, that that missed opportunity was a reflection that I was taking myself too seriously. I don't know, Big Al. It's been a busy couple of weeks at work, under a bit of pressure, all that, and there was the result. Just basically taking myself too seriously. I didn't want to make myself the butt of a joke. And that's not me. That's what I sense sometimes when I watch semi-final rugby league. There are teams who are under pressure and can fall into the trap of taking things too seriously. And generally, it's to their detriment. Semi-final footy in the NRL and Super League should be a celebration. The best teams, the chance to do something special with no massive consequences if you don't succeed. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's all on again next year. I can understand and give a little leeway to our friends in the championship playoffs. There are much greater consequences for success and failure there. But even so, I think it pays not to take things too seriously. The teams that embrace the excitement tend to do well. Souths in the first half of their final versus the Roosters, they were very stony-faced, very stiff, while the Roosters played it a little loose, and they were spectacular. To lose, they could not have put on their clinic if they were taking themselves too seriously. If you tighten up too much, you can get tense and miss those half-opportunities that can be the difference between winning and losing. 
So whether you're at lunch with your colleagues and you chug down 50 mils of a garlic sauce or in a rugby league semi-final, I think you can miss big opportunities if you take yourself too seriously. I think it can definitely pay to keep things on the light side. Was it garlic sauce? It was I very hope, I hope you had a Tic Tac or something afterwards, my friend, because not only would you have been the guy that drank everybody's sauce, you'd be the guy with stinky breath afterwards as well. <laughs> well, it was, I don't know what it was because I'm so naive, but it was definitely garlicky because okay. for the rest of the day, I was really struggling yeah. and I was trying not to breathe mm. in the vicinity of others. Mm, I understand. It was really quite embarrassing, but I really should have loosened up and, you know, let everyone know, hey, I just drank some garlic sauce. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. And then... I would have won a laugh. Yep, yep. And like in rugby league, if you loosen up a bit, you can take those half opportunities and you know throw that pass you might not have done if you were tense. That point you raise about not taking it too seriously is a fine line, right? Because Very fine. I think you're right. Taking it too seriously takes away your creativity, takes mm. away the spark, which which is the thing that we we call out and we celebrate about the game. Absolutely. But take it too unseriously. And you don't really care enough to try hard to win. And winning is secondary. I don't want to um, give the illusion that we don't still think that. Yeah. But if you don't take it a little bit seriously, then you're never going to progress. I totally agree. And note my words. I said, you don't want to take things too seriously. Mm, yeah. I'm not saying don't take things seriously, but not too seriously. Not too seriously. So seriously that you're stiff as a board. Yeah. Okay, we all agree. Big out. Before we move on, I want to know your thoughts on the first weekend of the NRLW season. I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought there was some surprising results. Uh, I think everybody has expected both the Dragons and the Roosters to do big things. Now, I don't think the Roosters particularly showed signs that they weren't, mm-hmm. but I reckon the Dragons are really, really wobbly. Like, they've invested heavily in the off-season in recruits. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go out on a limb and just say Brisbane basically just pushed them around. Wow. That's that's my thoughts there. Well, the highlight for me was definitely the Warriors' win over the Roosters. Of course. That was just a, a genuine high-quality match. I feel like every time we talk about a women's rugby league match, we say it's genuinely high-quality like it's a surprise. And it's probably a very patronising thing to say. But this really was a genuinely high-quality match. The goal-line defence from the Warriors was excellent. Shantae Poco was just so classy in the halves. The highlight for me was a death chip and chase, which she regathered, popped it on the boot again for a repeat set, and a couple of minutes later, there was a match-defining try. Now, her halves partner, Tamina Ravisa, Fijian Olympian, I believe, in the Rugby Sevens, she was great in defence, and a few nice touches too, so she'll be fantastic, I reckon, should her combination with Poco develop. She looks the goods to me, but she didn't really get too, too involved. So... I reckon there's real momentum for the Warriors going into next week's game in Auckland. Of course, last year, they didn't have a home game. It's easy to forget. Mm. We just think it's easy for overseas teams to just like stick around and, and do, do good things. And of course, while they so far have only emulated the feat of last year by winning their first match against the Roosters, they're sitting in a much better position to make a push for the title. Yep. The fact they get a, a home game, a genuine home game. And, you know, I think they've recruited obviously very well. Shantae Bocco, like I said, a very classy performer. I think she has a rugby union background. I was just so impressed by by her game. What worries me a little bit about the Warriors, mm. and this is just me making generalizations. Yes, we know that the that the the Warriors spirit that has been established since what 1995 is to play really well, and then at some point let the opposition back into the game. Mm. So in this game, right towards the end, you would have labelled a consolation try, mm. which I personally thought was incredibly soft. And it really made the scoreline... Like, I thought the Warriors dominated most of the game, mm-hmm. and it, I think it reduced the scoreline from a, from a 10-point to like a 4-point football game. 
And I worry that it's just the first game and, you know, the game had already been won, I suppose. Yep. But I just, I hope that they can keep that side of the Warriors spirit away and really focus on shutting teams down. Yeah, fair enough. Well, if they play anything like they did first week, uh, they're going to make the grand final. No doubt about that. Because the Roosters are a very good team too. And I thought mm. Kira Dib played pretty well in her first game in the NRLW. All right, let's hit it. It's mailbag time. People have questions. People have thoughts. They write into us. We try to answer them. BRL Mailbag. It's the BRL Mailbag. Mailbag, and this week, let's kick things off in either Leeds or to the east of Leeds, in East Leeds. <laughs> and it was an emotional week for our man Ian, with Rhino's stalwart Jamie Jones Buchanan retiring and playing his last game at Headingley, and what a great farewell Leeds put on. Ian said, I'll be getting all emotional at Headingley on Friday for JGB's last of a match, but I can see why most eyes will be on a former teammate. Whatever happens, Danny Ward has become an inspiring symbol of redemption given how he left Leeds. And he sent us a, an article from 2006 when Danny Ward was unceremoniously dumped from Leeds for a repeated bout of indiscipline, Ooh. a couple of alcohol-related incidents. And look, as Ian alludes to, and as we've discussed earlier in the year, if you're not too quick to turn your back on people who have strayed, there's a good chance they'll make good. It doesn't always happen, of course, but in an era of immediate judgment and damnation and treating people as one-dimensional objects... It can be easy to forget that people learn and evolve. Thank you for sharing that, Ian. Well, I, I you know, I'm quite naive to the to the backstory of Danny Ward. I didn't I, know. I'd say completely naive, um, and I find that yeah, fascinating. I suppose I, yeah. I didn't know. I, Shame on us, of course. Of course, standard. Yep. More mailbag. And last week we spoke briefly about Paul Sirenin's year at Villeneuve mm-hmm. in 1999. Well, Lotto and Garnier. Have I mentioned he's real? Yes, I'm real. <laughs> I'm real. You have. Right. French rugby league font of knowledge and anecdote shared a great old cover of Trier's magazine with Ciro on the front cover, looking resplendent in a delightfully muddied lime green Villeneuve jersey with a great big leopard on the front. That picture sparked some great memories of long forgotten random rugby league competitions, including Trier's Tournoi, I believe. This was shared by Paul from the Gold Coast, so thank you, Paul. This was an Anglo French rugby league competition held at the end of the 98 season. It featured three UK teams from the Championship League One and three teams from France. The teams were Wakefield, very topical, Featherston, Lancashire Lynx, RIP, St. Estev Catalan, Limou, and Villeneuve. And the final was won by Paul Sirenin's Villeneuve. Oh, good on him. So thank you again, Paul. Another random competition was an extremely ambitious exercise called the Alex Angel Trophy of 1993. This was a six-team competition featuring two teams from the UK, Uddersfield and Batley, two teams from France, Carcassonne and Thiers, Catalan, and two from Russia. Tiraspol and Moscow Magicians. The Moscow Magicians. The Moscow Magicians, I know. Built as the European Championship, the final was played in Barcelona with Huddersfield edging out Trieste Catalan 23-22. The game was televised in Catalonia in the Catalan language. So thank you very much, Laurent, for sharing that one. Need I remind you, Laurent is real. I'm still real. Elsewhere, Frollins, Frollins from Melbourne shared an article from the Hull Daily Mail about James Gwatkin, who is about to make his international debut for Canada when they tour Serbia later this month. 
Okay, that's great, but what's so special about that? Well, let me tell you. James will make history by becoming the first person with MS to play international rugby league. What a brilliant story. Congratulations, James, and thanks, Frullins. That sounds phenomenal. I know. How, like, congratulations. I know. What a That's feat. right. Yeah. And not only that, Canada touring Serbia. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the mailbag for this week. You can get in touch with us via Twitter, Instagram, or at ProgressiveRL at Outlook.com. Actually, before I finish up on the mailbag, Gina from Sydney let us know that she loves singing along with the French-Canadian Rugby League <laughs> update theme song. Well, Gina can submit... Her own version, as per the competition that we're currently running, yes, in which we've received, let, wait, let me check, yes, zero entries. That's right, although we have run out of t-shirts also. Yeah, well. <laughs> There's that. Well, Gina, clear your throat, we're about to get stuck in. Shall we? Let's do it. Let's break it down a bit. Slug big gal and me, we like we'll see, when it comes to French-Canadian rugby 13. That right. was so much better. We should do it like that every week. You reckon? I really, I liked it. Cool. I felt I could really... We, we both hit at that falsetto sweetly. <laughs> Good stuff. So, let's start. Um, and we're going to start... We usually start with Catalan, mm-hmm. but we're going to start with London because sure. it had a relegation battle this week, which was somewhat of, a, of an adventure for you and me because it involved a 4am wake-up call it did. on a frosty Saturday morning. And we've had these things before. So we, we had a 4am viewing party at my house for the Million Pound game last year. We did. Where you showed up in your nightgown, my friend. I did. And I was all revved up to see Jono <laughs> on my dark doorstep in his Terry Towling nightrobe. Unfortunately, you were wearing normal clothes because you had run. I ran to your place between yeah. between my house to yours. So. Five k's. I mean, I thought to myself, how am I going to get to your place at that time in the morning? Mm. Transport take too long. Hiring a car too expensive. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to run. It's the yeah. quickest way to get there. Yeah, yeah. So I did. Anyway, so we sat down and we watched what was a nail biting game mm. um, between London and Trinity Wakefield for relegation. So London obviously needed to win this to stave off going back down to the championship, and they went down 19-10. The scoreline suggests that it was quite close, but I would say Trinity seemed to have it over London the whole time. Yeah. Look, I think. While London had their chances, I think it's fair to say Wakefield were the better team. They were quite dominant in that forward yardage game. You know, they did the simple things well. Both teams, I found, were very timid and nervous early on, which you can understand. But obviously, Wakefield settled first. I think it took a long time for London to start playing rugby. I mean, we were calling out... (laughs) They're going to play rugby. Play some rugby. But, you know, when they did, they were looking pretty dangerous. But, hey, what do you do? It's one of those things. I think it is fair to say, though, that despite the unfortunate end of the season... When all said and done, the London Broncos made an enormous contribution to Super League 2019. Yes, most thought they'd get relegated, and they did. But not many thought they'd make it such an exciting battle. So London, thanks for the memories. Now, when you think about it, most people are thinking they win three, four games in the whole year. So this battle would have been done and dusted months ago. But they took it down to the last game, and just it went from being, you know... a a one-team relegation battle, which would have been decided months ago, to a four-to-five-team relegation battle that was oscillating and toing and froing over the last couple of months. It was an outstanding effort from a, a championship team because the team, like we said before, was essentially the same team that came up from the championship last year. An incredible performance, and I'm maintaining my nomination of Danny Ward as Coach of the Year, right. even though they've been relegated. Can I offer a somewhat controversial counterpoint of view? Okay. I find it... I loved London being in the Super League. Mm. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. However, upon reflection, 
They've had their season. They came really, really close to staying, but ultimately they went down. They did. I think mm. they, they basically kept the same team, a championship team. Mm. So the idea of getting promoted is to stay promoted. Mm. Do you think that perhaps if they invested in a couple of high, higher quality players mm. in key positions, would they have done better and would they have stayed? Look, the reality is David Hughes, the, the man who is bankrolling London Broncos, he's not your traditional sugar daddy. He is not the guy with bottomless pockets who will just be able to spend and bring success to the club. He's the kind of guy who will tip in enough to keep things afloat to a certain level and the rest you know you do your best so I mean I don't think even though they have a wealthy benefactor it's not the kind of benefactor that can just splash out on anything and everything so that's the reality I mean ideally they could I don't know attract more fans and more sponsors and make some more money that way but for whatever reason one has never really clicked and they have a pretty small fan base and probably find it hard to to make cash. Yes, uh, and uh, all those, I mean, whilst all those are true, I still think, I just think it's opportunity lost. And I think if there was a bit more, and I, I you know, I'm just making assumptions because I don't know the inner workings of the London Broncos mm. at all. I wish I did. Sure. I wish I did. I ask them, but I get nothing. <laughs> I think if maybe there was a bit more of a plan to push to avoid relegation in terms of strategy on the Especially makeup of the team. spending more money. Well, if that's if that's the only answer there was, then I understand that would have been challenging. Mm. And I don't know what else they what else they tried to do, but I just think to go up and to come back down, like it's the most likely outcome, and mm. that's what happened. And it didn't happen as easily mm. as everyone thought. But I still think, like, what's the point of going up if you just go back down straight away? <laughs> I mean, they tried. They won yeah, ten. I know, they tried. They did. They tried well, and it was a great effort. But. I mean, last year, Widness, I think, came last in the Super League before the Super 8s, and they won like four or five games. London won 10, they doubled that. They did what would normally keep them safe. There was normally one team that only wins five, six, seven games. I find it hard to fault them. They don't have the resources. That's the reality. And with the resources they had... They did fantastically well. Anyway, but we move on. So as we were watching London and Wakefield play, uh, we were also getting live updates via the Sky TV broadcast of what was happening in the Catalan-Huddersfield game. Mm. So we were talking last week about how generous Catalan were being with their distribution of two points. Mm -hmm. And it looked like... I mean, this this was a very topsy-turvy affair because it seemed like they were giving them away Mm -hmm. and they were taking them back. And they'll give them away again, and, and, right. and in the end, they, they gave them right away. Look, it was a much improved performance by Catalina. We were expecting them just to give it away from minute one, but mm. they were in the lead for a while. And look, it was a team that comprised 13 French players, including an all-French halves combination. So hopefully some good signs for next year, and hopefully some young halves who can develop under James Maloney and under a guy called Josh Drinkwater, who of course spent the year playing for Hull KR. But he apparently has been re-signed by Catalan for next year. And maybe, just maybe, that is what Catalan were missing at the back end of the year. Mm. They were lacking that hydration factor that really did them so well <laughs> last year. When drink water came, yep. you know, they got hydrated, they were That's drinking right. the really H2O. Sparked, sparked that season, didn't he? Did. I'd totally forgotten about that. You forgot about hydration. Well, I'd totally forgotten about the effect the hydration factor had on that season. That's right. Because they were going nowhere and then... Because it's also, at that time of year, it's very hot in the south of France. So, <laughs> I mean, people forget to drink. And once you're thirsty, it's too late. <laughs> so, that's, so that's it for London. Thanks for the memories. Good luck next year. All right, so let's move on down to the championship. So this is the first week of the finals. Mm-hmm. Toronto being the league leader, shield owners that they are. 
uh, got to have the first week off. Mm-hmm. So it's up to Toulouse to carry on the PRL campaign coming up against York City Knights with, as you've said at the top of the show, putting on a display 44-6. This was a brilliant magnificent performance by Toulouse with everything clicking the passes were sticking the running was hard the defense was sound the creativity was next level that was the best I've seen Toulouse perform I haven't seen a whole lot of their performances because they're not on television but this was immense particularly the first half four scintillating tries you go a long way to see a better set of tries by one team in a half of rugby league it was cracking stuff it's everything that you want to see in rugby league skill creativity Risk-taking, poise, beauty. Poise. And beauty. And beauty. And look, in the second half, it's fair to say York struggled a bit in the heat. It was 33 degrees. They were always going to struggle with Toulouse Olympics' up-tempo game. But really, it was great to see. Mark Carella was really next level. He had an immense game throwing dummies, making breaks, throwing outrageous 30-meter passes while at full pace. I mean, this was... <laughs> I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, I talk about Toulouse Olympic a lot to my friends and family. And, you know, people sort of tap me on the head and things like that. Going, good on you. That sounds nice. And if you're one of those people listening, you know, great. But do me a favor and do yourself a favor and watch these YouTube highlights. If you've never seen a Toulouse Olympic highlight package... Check out this one <laughs> against York if City Knights. If you only see one Toulouse Olympic highlights package this year, make it, make this, it one. this one. The most incredible tries and the most breathtaking movements from this Toulouse Olympic team. Everything clicked and it was just amazing to watch. They, of course, have earned the right to play Toronto in Toronto next week for direct passage into the grand final. And mm. this, as you know, Big Al, I think you're about to tell me, is an enormous game. <laughs> well, this is an enormous game. So it sets up. So next week we're looking at uh, York City Knights playing Featherston and Toronto Wolfpack playing Toulouse Olympique. Mm-hmm. Now, walk me through the scenario here because when I first looked at this, I saw Toulouse, who'd finished second and just won, come up against Toronto, who had finished first. And I thought, what's, what's going well, on? Why two playing one and the winner? Yeah. Like, what's, what's going on here? So tell me. Well, Toulouse earned the right to play Toronto, who had the bye in the first week. And this is a grand final qualifier. So the winner skips the following week and goes straight into the grand final and they will host the grand final. The loser plays the winner of the elimination match between Featherston and York. So Lee were eliminated over the weekend against Featherston. So that was a little surprising for me. But then again, they had just come back from a trip to Toronto. And this leads me to my next point about how important this game is for Toulouse Olympique because they are obviously travelling from France to Toronto this week and they have a massive game. If they win that game, they get the next week off and host the final in France. That's immense. If they lose the game, they have to travel back from Toronto to France to host the winner of York and Featherston. And if they win that game, they obviously get another crack at Toronto, but it means traveling once again to Toronto Mm. and trying to beat them. So it is such an important game for them. It's just so hard to go to and from Toronto and keep your performance at a high level. We saw Lee... They travelled to Toronto last week and they just didn't quite come up with the goods against Featherston. Earlier in the year, the week after Toulouse had travelled to Toronto and lost a game there, they struggled the following week in a home game. I think that was the week they lost to Swinton at home. So it's just not easy to do. So it just makes the stakes for this coming game all the, all the more high. All the more higher. Mm, I get you. Yeah. Really important. It's really, really (laughs) important and could be the difference between promotion 
and otherwise. So let's let's play the dream scenario here. Mm. And Toulouse Olympique beat Toronto, mm-hmm. win hosting rights for the grand final. Yep. Do they play it at Blagnac? Or mm. do you think they'd upgrade to... Um, the rugby stadium. To the, what, yeah. The 20,000-seater. Yeah. Oh, you'd love to see that. Mm. I mean... I, wa- I wonder if they've got... It. Yeah, what the contingency is there. I wonder if they'd thought that far ahead. Yeah, I'm sure they're thinking about it because it's only one game away. You'd like to think so. They have a good relationship with Stade Toulousain, mm. uh, but they've started their season as well, so you're not sure oh, the availability. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, fingers crossed. Do you, do you think, knowing the RFL, mm. it's a tension point about, we'll call them out-of-town teams, non-English teams, mm. playing things and, and crowd issues and stuff like that. Mm. Has it been confirmed that doesn't matter if it, it, Toulouse or Toronto will definitely host the grand final? Yep. That's okay. been confirmed. Okay. This does set up, like, I know we, we, when we first launched this journey, the parallel mm. journey, we were all in on Toronto. Yeah. And then we've discovered Toulouse and we've grown more and more in love with Toulouse as yep. the day has gone by. And then, at least for me, it was fully cemented in that trip to France. Yeah, I of course. felt head over heels in love with this team. You're only human. All I want is success for Toulouse. Now I feel like I'm forced to make a choice mm. because, yes, for long-term success for the league and everything... Toulouse needs to be in the Super League. Mm. Two French teams create some like create some some rivalry mm-hmm. and just expand the footprint of the game. However, I feel if Toronto don't make the Super League now, mm. they will run out of money, Cash. steam and money and everything. And I think that not making the Super League in the first year, yeah, they 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 could they dealt with that. They are dealing mm. with that. I think not making it in the second year might just be a bridge too far. And mm-hmm. I think maybe it's all going to start. Unraveling. Um, not to say unraveling, it sounds dramatic. I'm going to say eroding. Erosion will set in. Yeah, well, I mean, when they first started, they said they have a five-year plan to get to the Super League. I think they're three years in or three or four years in. So, theoretically, not getting promotion shouldn't be a deal-breaker for Toronto. And what we've realised over the last couple of years, and especially this year, after speaking to a couple of people in Canada and Nicholas Mew, our friend from Barrie, Ontario, Toronto Wolfpack have created actual fans out of actual Canadians. I, I still find it hard to get my head around it. It is a miracle. It yeah. is the miracle of Toronto Wolfpack. So, you know, maybe they are actually creating something sustainable there. Obviously, it's going to take a lot of money and it still needs a lot of money. It's not going to miraculously continue if, if the money drains out. But there are real people with a real passion for the game in Toronto. And they get eight, 9,000 most weeks, that 9,000 the other day against Lee, they're going to have another big crowd against Toulouse. That's incredible. Yeah. So there is something there. It's not just uh, a team that's been bankrolled by some rich guy and it's just all for his fun and you know it's just a play thing. It's not just that. It, there's more to it and we're seeing that more and more as Toronto Wolfpack develop. Now, elsewhere, last week we applauded the board of the Swinton Lions for making the decision to change their name to the Manchester Lions. Well, it seems it may not work out that way. The board, who have basically kept the club afloat and brought the club back from the brink, have sensationally resigned after being besieged with displeasure from fans who didn't like the idea of the name change. Now, that seems like a big shame for a club that gets crowds generally in the three figures Mm. and hasn't actually played in Swinton for 27 years. So... From this angle, and look, it's very easy to say from our angle, but it seems very bizarre, quite sad, that this has unfolded the way it has. Well, it's sad, mm. but I, I don't think it's it's unexpected. Yeah. I feel like fans 
fans like a team for the reason they like the team. And I don't, again, I'm probably making assumptions that how this thing was handled. But this goes back to the the relocation debate that we're sort of having yep. throughout this series, where if you if you pick up a team and move them, mm-hmm. everyone's going to get annoyed. Yep. If you consult with the fan base and say, we need to do this because mm. it, otherwise we're going to go broke, you'll lose half of them, but you'll probably keep the other half. And well, I, think I don't know they... if this was done in consultation with the fans or not. Well, according to the board, they had done it in consultation with the fans. And I think you're right. There were half that liked the idea and half that didn't. It just seems that the half, half that didn't were very angry and it was wow. too much for the board. So this is, you know... In that case, it's, that's just a, like, if I can't have it, burn it down. That, that's, <laughs> that's, that's sad. Well, I think, you know, those people are going to try to keep it going at Swinton, but I don't know how it, how it gets anywhere near sustainable considering they draw three-figure crowds most times. So, look, a bit of a shame for expansionists and the people who want to see the game grow into the larger cities, but um, that's the way it is for the moment. Mm. We'll wait and see what happens there. I suppose also it's probably unfair for us to compare it to our experience in Sydney. You know, Sydney is a big, sprawling city, and it's very different to the regions and the north of the UK where there's very specific identities with specific towns, where Sydney is one big region. And yes, there were times when Balmain went from Balmain to Sydney to Balmain and the Bulldogs went from Canterbury-Bankstown to the Sydney Bulldogs to just the Bulldogs and the Cronulla Sharks went from Cronulla to just the Sharks and the Eastern Suburbs Roosters went from the Eastern Suburbs to Sydney to Sydney City back to Sydney. And I suppose there were fans who sort of got annoyed but it really wasn't a deal breaker. It's like, oh, can't you just change the name back? <laughs> you know, when Bowman Tigers went to the Sydney Tigers in 1996, I did officially drop them. Oh, okay. And I think it was purely because they, they also, the name change I didn't really care about, but they moved to Parramatta Stadium as well, yeah. which I saw as like, well, that's, you've relocated the team, but you've done it in a really half-assed way yeah. and moved them 20Ks down the road to Parramatta. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you're going to move them, do something, do something good with it. Yeah. But, uh, so. yeah. <laughs> but I think it is fair to say most people in the other examples didn't really give too yeah, much Yeah, of course. Like- <laughs> so I think it's different, though, to the UK where, you know, there's just so much history and identity in towns versus towns and all that sort of thing. So the name brings so much more emotion to mm, things mm. compared to suburbs of Sydney, I suppose. So it's probably unfair for us to compare from our experience. What else has happened in the world of International Rugby League, sir? Um, so there's a whole a whole rack of results that have just come in from the International Rugby League Twitter feed, which I will oh. uh, roll off for us here. So Scotland under-16s have defeated Ireland under-16s 30 to 24. Great. Pretty cool. The Great Britain Pioneers have defeated Albania 48-0 in Tirana, Albania. Fantastic. So the Great Britain Pioneers, seems to, they seem to be almost like a Harlem Globetrotter-style team in that they, it's about exhibition matches, yep. and they're just there to grow grow the, the footprint of the game. So That's fantastic. well done to them. They're currently doing a tour of Albania. I bet you they chuck it around too. Oh, I'm sure they do. Absolutely. Um, what else have we got? Greece have defeated Turkey 38-24 to in Istanbul, mm-hmm. so uh, as they prepare for their uh, World Cup. And this was in Sydney. Uh, Peru have defeated Uruguay 34-30. to in their very first international game of 13-a-side. So we've seen them play a couple of nines games before. Yeah. This is a full 13-a-side affair. And uh, that's it for my results. Well, I can add a couple there. Greece against Turkey in the women. Turkey actually got up 40-4 to in that match. Mm. So that was fantastic for Turkey. In that Canada tour of Serbia and Bosnia, as commenced, as we said earlier, Canada beat Bosnia-Herzegovina 78-2 in the men's. And the Canada women's team beat Serbia 34-6. Nice one. 
So that is a tour that is rocking. So let's talk on uh, on news and, and current topics going about the world of international rugby league. Oh, hit me. Back on, we spoke about Tonga last week. Yeah. So that's in the latest, the press over the weekend, that whilst they've gone quiet, Tonga has reaffirmed their commitment to a boycott of wow. the Rugby League World Cup Nines, which is on at the end of the season, mm. I think about two weeks after the grand final, and the end of season tests against both Great Britain and Australia, unless the current board resigns and Christian Wolfe is reinstalled as coach. So, Well, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a shame because during the week, they also appointed a new coach, Frank mm. Endicott, who has a lot of respect in the game, and, and a couple of assistant coaches in Manu Vatavai and Leslie Vanicolo, some two legends. So mm. I was wondering if that would win the players over, but obviously not. They yeah. just want the board gone, essentially. This is, this is a really interesting one where normally when this sort of stuff happens, I think like you would think the players should just get on and the team is bigger than the players. Yep. But in this case, I think that's that's not true at all because the players, this Tongan wave of enthusiasm that's sweeping International Rugby League is because of these players that have chosen mm. to play. and. Yep. A lot of them have sacrificed a lot of money to yeah. play for Tonga. Yeah. And they probably hold, I mean, and rightly so, they hold most of the power. And I don't really have a problem with them exercising that. They deserve to get what they want, I suppose. And I don't mm. know, I don't know what's going on. I mean, on it before. feels uncomfortable to say that, but in this case, it kind of seems yeah, the right I, I way think to go. They, this team that we all have fallen in love with is because players have, have chosen to not take the big money and mm. play for and play to represent their culture. And look, Jason Tamalolo, who is obviously one of my favourite players to watch, but he's also a very sensible human being. I've heard him speak many times. Very down-to-earth, grounded individual who talks a lot of sense. So if he's leading the charge in this, I, you know, for me, it's not just players having a whinge. It's it's obviously reasoned. They've mm. thought about it long and hard, and they believe. I think the same thing about Will Hopawate. I mm. really think if Will Hopawate thinks it's it's a thing, then it's probably a right thing. Yeah. I consider him to be a, well, a very well-thought-out um, and conscientious individual. Yeah, but please, please get it worked out. Yeah, let's we go. Want to see we gotta, we've got to get something. Elsewhere, I've also heard on the rumor mill, and again, I mean Twitter, apparently Sonny Bill's informed the All Blacks he won't be playing next year. Yeah, he which won't be means, going back to New Zealand next yeah, year. Yeah, so does that mean that uh, that uh, potential for him to play for the Wolfpack might well, actually might actually bear fruit? I think we said, yeah, we said that at the start of the year, didn't we? We spoke about that. That would be amazing. I think it would. It will probably be dependent, if it's any chance at all, probably dependent on whether they get promoted or not. Mm. But I think I heard a couple of weeks ago that that international rugby player who people were wondering about and then speculated it might be Sonny Bill might actually be Danny Cipriani from England, uh, so, uh, which would be a bit of a fizzer. Yeah, that's kind of a letdown, really. Wait and see. You never know. <laughs> Look, there's, it's probably more likely to go back to the NRL. There's still a lot of interest from NRL clubs who would take him in a heartbeat. Yeah. Now, speaking of people who might come to the NRL, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about Tony Gigot we did. from Catalan. We did. Whether he may or may not go to the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We thought, oh, that's a long shot. But apparently it's not as much of a long shot as we thought. So, okay. look, on. fingers crossed. I, I would consider getting a season ticket to St. George Illawarra Games if wow. he moved to the Dragons. I mean, it's probably one of those things that I say six months out and will never do. But yep. I'm considering it right now six months out. Anything else from you, Big Al? No, that's all. Okay, wonderful news. Now, why don't we finish off, as we always do, well, as we sometimes do, with prog mobs. <laughs> oh, shall I go first? <laughs> Have you got one? <laughs> I do. And this goes back to one of the rugby league pillars. It's a funny game. <laughs> so I do want to highlight that there are times when you, you think you say, well, rugby league, I think I've seen it all. Mm. But I'm going to take us back to, uh, I already mentioned at the top of the show, the moment when uh, Joey Lelua copped a firework in the eye yeah. and couldn't start the game. It's funny because everything was okay. Yes. So that's why it's funny now. Mm. It was actually kind of 
a bit scary at the time. Yeah. But like now I've seen it all, right? Like yeah. what else, what else could possibly happen? And the fact that that had, that had delayed the start of the game mm. and no one, because it was such a bizarre incident, everyone had to go and check the rules on of interchange. <laughs> and like, so they got a free interchange, right. but they didn't get a free interchange to change to get him back on the field. Yeah. Um, I thought it was quite comical. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I, I didn't see that part of the game. So, was there an actual like reaction where he just like was running? He's like, wow! Like, no, yeah. So, if you look, it, it happened. Um, there was a, a an archway put yeah. over the tunnel with like sparklers on yeah, the top spraying out, and you sort of see the, the there was no big reaction. You sort of see him run through, and then you see him. He just sort of starts to rub his eye, or whatever. Mm. But it wasn't until like everybody was out on the field, except Joey Lelua was on the sideline having like a Powerade bottle sprayed into his eye and it, like everyone's trying to work out what's going it's on. Kind of, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the fact that, that everyone had to work out, like basically get out the dusty old rule rule book and like, yeah. okay, player can't start the game. What, what, what's the protocol here? Yeah. I thought it was amazing. Good fun. And wasn't it amazing that he threw the winning flick pass? Uh, like it had to be a flick pass, didn't yeah. it? Like that was just icing on the cake. Well yeah, done. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of fireworks at footy games anyway so you know when you're there and you feel the heat of the fireworks you're like that can't be safe and also those times when there's fireworks and the haze from them just hangs around for like a good 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. you're like oh, this probably wasn't the best but I do have to say those those flamethrowers I do think that the game is over invested in flamethrowers yeah <laughs> I'm over it look my prog mom the Holy Mund Junior Rugby League Football Club this is a junior rugby league club in Caledonia Ontario who are introducing rugby league to kids aged 2 to 16. They held a clinic over the weekend, attended by just heaps of kids, over 60 apparently, learning drills and the like. And there were also Toronto Wolfpack players there like Darcy Lussick and Ricky Latelli. They went along to help out. So just brilliant stuff. And it's just another reminder, as I said before, how far things have come over the last few years. We're still struggling to get used to the fact that real-life actual Canadians... (laughs) are getting into our game and getting really passionate about it. Even then, some people weren't happy. What are they doing at Grassroots? They were saying, well, it's definitely happening now in Grassroots. So it's great to see. Well done. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. Haldimond Junior Rugby League Football Club. They're called the Haldimond Wolfpack. Nice one. I'm, I'm 100% sure I'm getting that pronunciation <laughs> wrong. Oh, well, but that's how it's spelt. <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's my problem for the week. Awesome. Okay. Cool. How are you feeling? I'm feeling uh, satisfied. Great. You're sated, I'm sated, let's call it a day. It's been wonderful to have your company, ladies and gentlemen. Until next week, allow me to say this, hold me, and see ya. See you in Rugby League We Trust.